Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And uh, going to preach a little while, probably tonight, on probably the second greatest missionary in history. The first, of course, being the Lord Jesus. Jonah falls in there somewhere down the line. But Jonah, God, that just goes to show God can use a loser. Jonah had a bad attitude when it started. He had a bad attitude in the middle of the book. And he had a bad attitude when it was all over. Jonah just had a bad attitude. And, uh, you know, that's not a good thing. That's, that's something we've got to guard against. Uh, as I was studying the book of Jonah and doing a little historical background, I found out that the reason he hated the Ninevites is because of the persecution that the Ninevites had displayed toward Israel. But the thing about it is, you know, you and I cannot take things personally. We have to understand that people are just who they are. I was talking to Brother Matthew earlier, and it just seems like that people have never changed. We talk about how bad things are now, but you can look in the Bible and you can find out people have been bad, uh, things have been bad a long time. I mean, people never change. The only thing that changes a person is the Holy Spirit of God resides in their heart. That's the only thing that will ever change us. People say, well, I'm reformed. Well, you can reform all you want to, but all that is is you take something that's utterly corrupt and change the shape of it, it's still utterly corrupt. As somebody asked me one time, what about prison reform? I said, well, it reformed some of them all right. I said, it'll take a smart 18-year-old jerk and put him in with a bunch of lifers, and he'll come out and finish the thug completely. But he had, unless he gets across his path to the Lord Jesus, it's not going to happen. So uh, Romans chapter 1, I believe we're going to start reading in verse number 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. And I could echo with Paul that uh, toward this church. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. You may not know it, but this church does have a testimony, and it's getting better all the time. But it does have a testimony. People come through, missionaries come through, evangelists come through, visitors come through, and when, they, when they're treated in a godly manner and they're taken care of, and, they, and people can sense whether you, you're actually welcoming them or just going through the motions. But when they find a warm haven out here on the cold road, that word gets around. And uh, Scenic Hills is developing a testimony as being a missions-friendly and a, and a, a people-friendly church. That's a good thing to have. That's not a bad thing. And, that, and ultimately, you're going to see some, uh, some rewards from that, I promise you. God is always faithful. But it goes on to say, and uh, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of his son, that without, uh, without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. I'll have to confess tonight to not mentioning you always in my prayers, but I do pray for this church and I pray for your pastor and his family. But I probably need to pray a whole lot more, but I don't know of anybody who doesn't need more prayer. But Paul says, always, and I tell you, it touches my heart, and I, you'd be surprised how many people have come up to me over the years 
and said, Brother, we've got your prayer card on our, on our refrigerator, and I pray for you every day. That humbles me. But it also explains why God continues to provide, and God continues to take care of, and God continues to use my wife and I, is because God's people are praying. Believe me, I don't take credit for anything that God has done through my life because somebody else was praying and invoking heaven to help me. So I'm not your missionary. I'm your fellow laborer in the harvest. For everything that I do, you get a, you get a portion of the credit. And, you know, we need to remember that. Every missionary that you help on the field, that you send to the field, and that you continue to pray for and support and meet special needs in their life, their fruit is going to be, it's, uh, is, uh, some of their fruit is going to be put to your account. I mean, God's not unfaithful or unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. But he says, I make mention of you in my prayers, making requests if by any means, now at length, I might have a, a, a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I will long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To then you may be established. That is, that, is that I may... be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. You, realize, you know, faith is a comforting thing. It is. I mean, it's through faith that you and I can face trouble sometimes in dark, uh, dark valleys and, and be comforted in the midst of that. We, may, we don't see the deliverance. We have no idea how it's all going to work out, but by faith. We put one foot in front of the other, and we continue. That's what, that's what pleases God. The just shall live by faith. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was led hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. And here is the, the text tonight and the reason for missions. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel unto you that at Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed through faith to faith. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray in the next little while that you'll help me. I realize, God, I need your help. I pray, Lord, for my pastor. I'm grateful that he's able to get back in the pulpit. Lord, I pray for your men around the country. I don't know who all of them are, but I know you do. 
And I pray that every man that opens his Bible and stands to preach tonight will have a special unction from you. For God, we need it. We're desperately needy, and we realize that. We realize, Lord, that it doesn't make any difference how much we study or how much we prepare or how accurate what we have to say is. If the Holy Spirit doesn't breathe on it, it just remains information. But if your spirit breathes on it, it becomes truth. And when it becomes truth, it affects our lives forever. So we're just asking you tonight, Lord, to make the word of God true in our hearts, that we may yield to it, that we may obey it. Lord, I pray for your missionaries around the world, that you will encourage them. Lord, you will meet every need, and we'll give you the praise, and we'll give you the glory for it. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen. You know, people say, well, well, what's the purpose of missions? Well, the reason we, the reason we, go, we, we should go to, give to missions and go to mission fields is because we owe the world and we owe the Lord. We owe the Lord because he gave his son to be, to, he became sin who knew no sin, that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's quite a debt. And we owe the Lord because there was a time in, in time, a time on a, in our life that we did not know the Lord. We did not have the peace that passeth understanding in our heart. We did not have the joy of knowing that our sins were forgiven. We did not have the comfort that, uh, that we have knowing that God is going to meet our needs. I've had people ask me, what do you think about the economy? I said, I don't think a lot about it at all. Said, doesn't it affect you? I said, I'll tell you what it doesn't affect. It doesn't affect God. It doesn't affect the Lord's ability to meet my needs and your needs and his people's needs at any time in history. God's always met the need. That I don't have a doubt in my word, mind that he's going to continue to do so. But I'm a debtor. Then Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 17, he said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now that offends a bunch of Church of Christ pastors because they figure that that baptismal water is going to get them into heaven. But I tell you, it's the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that's going to cleanse us from sin and going to get us into heaven. And, uh, well, I, I won't go into that. My wife gets on to me about telling stories, so I'm going to tell a story, dear. Your, your, your counsel is standing. But, uh, but, you know, he said not to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. I had a couple of friends. I mean, they, they, were, they were two brothers. Both of them were great preachers. But one of them was a great pulpiteer, and the other preached to the heart. They were both good men, godly men, loved God, but I always got a lot more out of the older brothers preaching than I did out of the younger brothers preaching, though the, uh, the younger brother would, was, would amaze you with what he found in the Scripture. He's a good preacher. But see, the thing about it is, I don't need my intellect stroked. I need my heart broke. That's why I want somebody that will preach to my heart. They, uh, you know, education's fine. For a young preacher, they get over it in four or five years. 
But, uh, well, you know, and the thing about it is, if a person isn't called of God, then I promise you this modernistic schooling and everything will take their eyes off God and off the call and off the things that are going on. There's nothing wrong with learning as long as we remember that the greatest teacher on earth is the Holy Spirit. The greatest uh, textbook on earth is the King James Bible. I mean, the, the, uh, probably the most beneficial time you'll ever spend is in uh, Bible study and prayer. If we'll do that, then God can do a work in our hearts. If we don't do that, then what we're doing is we're, doing that, and we're asking God to do the impossible. We have to put the information in in order for the Holy Spirit to use it and, uh, and uh, expound upon it in our hearts. But he said, I, God sent me to preach the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? I'm glad, I'm glad you asked. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, in verse number 3, the Apostle Paul made this statement. He said, I, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. That's something we need to understand, is that even the authors of the books of the Bible were not coming up with their own doctrine and their own information. They were being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And people have tell me that people that people men have corrupted the Bible, they've changed the Bible, and I'll grant you that, but not my Bible. I not only believe in the inspiration of the Bible, I believe in the preservation of the Bible. People say, Well, my Bible don't read that way. I said, Well, you need to get you another Bible. They said, well, my Bible's easier to understand. I said, really? And I'll give them two or three verses. They look them up and they say, well, I don't have that in my Bible. I said, you need to get you another Bible. I rest my case. Now this, I mean, I, I am not a bibliolater. There's a danger of worshiping the KJV to the exclusion of God. I've met people like that. They weren't nearly as concerned with defending, uh, defending God and his character as they were defending their Bible. That's the wrong attitude. That Bible is God's letter to us. We're to assimilate it. We're to study it. We're to rightly divide it. But the fact of the matter is we, but we're always, our devotion should be heavenward to the God who loved us enough that he gave us a Bible. And he preserved the Bible. And he used the word of God in our, uh, in our hearts to deliver us from the powers of darkness. For by faith you saved through, uh, through, by grace you saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest, uh, lest any man should boast. The Bible says, uh, so, you know, we're saved by faith, and where does faith come from? In Romans first, I mean, Romans chapter 10, verse number 17, the Bible says, so then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. You and I hear the word of God. Then the Holy Spirit will apply it to our hearts as truth. You know the thing about it is you don't have to accept it. You can be exposed to the word of God and die and go to hell. You can be familiar with the word of God to the point where you can quote scripture after scripture after scripture. And if all it is is something you retain in your mind and not in your heart, you will die and go to hell. People say, well, I just believe that if, it, if you know enough, I said, no, it's not if you know enough. It's, it depends on who you know. It's not what you know. It's who you know. And, you know, the thing about it is once you know the one true God 
and you have the confidence in your heart that God has saved you, then you incur a debt to a lost world. From that point on, you and I are responsible to carry the word, to shed the light, send the light. I mean, the thing about it is, however you, however you put it, it's about missions. I mean, the Apostle Paul was constantly going somewhere, coming from somewhere, or starting over to go somewhere else, and he went for one reason and one reason only, that he might propagate the gospel. His, one of his great disappointments in life was the fact that he didn't live forever. And he didn't have an opportunity to preach in a lot of points at places he had never been. And I've known missionaries who felt that way. Especially those who, uh, who are missionaries to the, tri uh, the tribes in, in the jungles in, in South America, Papua New Guinea, places like that. They feel like they dropped the ball. No, brother, you didn't drop the ball, just pass off the baton. That's what it's all about. You can only go so far. I mean, uh, brother... Uh, Called his name this morning, the Alaskan missionary, Hoffmeister. Brother Hoffmeister is getting long in the tooth, like me. But he's laid a firm foundation up there. And there are people whose heart is, uh, has been touched by his ministry who will take the baton when his hand is stilled and dead. When he quits preaching, somebody will pick up the baton and go on. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's our heritage. I was talking to Brother Matthew about a good friend of mine who's been a veteran missionary in Austria for over 40 years. He now, he's now been uh, uh, diagnosed with terminal cancer. But his wife went home to be with the Lord last year, and he's anxious to get there to see her. See, the thing about it is there's no reason for a child of God to fear. I mean, death is just a door. It's a place that opened a whole new world to us. And a far better one. You know, it's easy to get discouraged looking around at the state of things. It's easy to get discouraged listening to, listening to the television and listening to the, the news and the media. First of all, you got to understand, you can't believe a word they're saying. The vast majority of it is lies. People say, don't you watch the news? No. They said, why not? I said, I don't believe anything they say. Why would I waste time watching them? I mean, that's it. You know, I look at it this way. I pray for the leaders of my country, and sometimes it's very difficult. But I do pray because the thing about it is the Bible says the king's heart's in the hand of the Lord. And no matter how perverse people may be, no matter how wrong they may be, no matter what kind of track record they may have, as long as there's a, I have to believe that as long as there's a breath of life in that body, that there's hope for them, that God can touch them and can change them. And, you know, that's why all America needs is revival. We're not, oh, we're probably not going to see it from what I understand. But the thing about it is, you know, while America may never be revived, you and I can be. Revival has to start with me. Revival has to start with you. Most of the great revivals throughout history started with just a handful of people and spread. That's the way God does things. It, uh, there was a movie, I don't remember, uh, called A Fire on the Wind. It was a great movie. And it was about uh, back in the 1500s, 1600s or something, but it was about the spread of the gospel. You realize that 
we're living in a, a, a very easy time to call ourselves a Christian for the simple reason there's no standards that we have to live up to from the world's viewpoint. But there's still a standard, same standard has always been effective from God's viewpoint. You know, if you and I go because we've took up the debt that Paul recognized, God will go with us. Each one of us has a, spe a special or a particular or peculiar gift that God gave us. Some people maybe have five gifts. I, I wonder sometimes if I, I, may, I may have one. I'm, I'm going to try not to bury that and, and lose what I got. But the fact of the matter is, if I put what I have in God's hands and commit it to his keeping, then he'll use me. People say, well, that's pretty, that's pretty egotistic. I don't think so. He used a rooster. With Peter. He used a donkey with Balaam. I mean, God used a fish with Jonah. And that was a very clear-cut message. You're in the wrong place and going in the wrong direction, boy. You need to get right. And It must not have been a very pleasant ride because Jonah said, Out of the belly of hell, cried I. He wasn't enjoying himself. But it's amazing when, he got, when, the, when the fish put him on shore... There, I, I don't know if there was anybody there or not, but he started preaching as soon as he had dry land. And he preached one of the greatest revivals in the Old Testament. And he did it with a bad attitude. That's sad. That just goes to show that the, the gospel's got to be preached. But you know, I want to preach with the right attitude. I want to preach with the right spirit. I don't want to have a bad attitude or a bitter spirit because... All that is a reflection on God. You're dissatisfied with God and what God called you to do and what God, God put upon your plate to deal with. And, you know, I, I'm very happy. Now, when I got saved back in 1981, uh, 81? Yeah, it was 81. In 1981, well, uh, I'm glad God didn't show me the end from the beginning because I, didn't, I wouldn't have wanted to go to prison. That never, never had, had any attraction for me. But 14 years of God being good to me and being merciful to me and providing for my needs and putting a desire in my heart to serve him, then when the, he opened that door, I was glad. And I, I'm glad now there's no place that I'm more comfortable than in the penitentiary. I understand it. That's where my heart is. Somebody asked me one day, one of the young men on death row who got recently saved. We've had 16, I think, saved in the last year, a little over a year. And that's unusual. That's unheard of because death row, in all the years, we've seen more saved in the last 14 months than I've seen in the last 26 years. That's just God. The door opened and God opened the door. God put the right people in the right place and he opened that door. And people are, as a, response, as a result of that, people are getting saved. And, and, and their lives are reflecting the change in their lives. See, that's the thing. If a person's saved, if the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in your heart, it's going to change you. 
I mean, you know, everybody's going to change. I mean, some of us change faster than others. But there's going to be a change. If there's no change, it's like the, like the old mountain preacher said, if you is what you was, you ain't. That's just the bottom line. If your life hadn't changed, if something had to happen in your life after you trusted Christ, then you didn't trust Christ. But the Apostle Paul said, I'm a debtor. I owe that. That's just like with those guys I go and deal with in prison. I owe them that. That one youngster, I mean, he's, he's, he's just a kid. He's about 45. You say, well, that's not a kid. Well, from my perspective, it is. And my older boy, uh, my oldest boy is older than that. So uh, that, to me, that's, he's a young man. But uh, he and I have become pretty close. He, I mean, he, he's, he's come to, he's come to re regard me favorably and, he asked me one day, he said, hey, old-timer, how you doing? Now, that's what I always used to say. But I, I realize now that by the mercies of God, I've, listened, I've lived long enough to be an older man. I told him, well, son, I'm doing pretty good for an old man. He said, let me ask you a question, a serious question. I said, how about it? He said, how long are you going to be able to do this? I said, son, I don't know. I said, be able is the word. I said, as long as I'm able, I'm going to do this. I said, uh, I guess I, I would I'll retire when they throw that first shovel full of dirt in my face. I said, I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I've never found a place in there where preachers retire. Really don't. I mean, businessmen retire. You may, we may get to the, uh, get to the age or, and the, the, health, the physical condition where we're limited, but we don't, uh, there's never a place where we're discharged. So I, I'll tell them, I don't know. I said, as long as I can, you'll see me. You'd be amazed how it touches my heart when some of those guys that, I have, that I've known for years, some of those men I've known 26 years. I had a man the other day, he just, he just broke down and he started crying. He said, you don't realize what a blessing you are. I said, probably not. I said, I never think of myself in those terms. He said, you know, for 26 years, I've watched you climbing stairs and standing at doors and talking to people about God. He said, you just don't know. That's an encouragement to me. I said, well, brother, I want you to know one thing. You just repaid me in kind because that's an encouragement to me. You know, that is all the encouragement we need is the fact to know that we're, we're serving a purpose, that we're accomplishing what God put us there for. And if, you know, if I can be just a, a little bit of light in one dark cell, then it's all worth it. To see 16, 17 men saved in the past 14 months or so, I, I, I'm ecstatic. I feel like, I mean, I feel like it's a dream, but if it is, don't wake me up. I thank God for that. There are, men, there are men who are going to be executed this year who got saved this, this past year. That's a great because, you know, the thing about it is you say, well, well they're going to die. I say, well, hey, everybody's going to die. People say, how do you work death row? I said, you realize that everybody you talk to every day of your life, including yourself, is going to die? I said, everybody's on death row. I said, the thing about it is, some of these guys at least have a little bit of forewarning. They have an opportunity 
to prepare. I said, you'd be amazed how many people on 9-11 went to work expecting to go home that night, and they never made it back. I wonder how many arguments took place between husbands and wives, and the last thing that uh, in this life that they had was a harsh word. Uh, you know, that broke my heart, but I got to consider that. I saw them people jumping out of those buildings, and I was thinking about how many kids were, were sent to bed with a harsh word or a smart aleck remark that would never, they'd never hear anything else from their mama or their daddy. And I thought, God, what a, what a tragedy. But you know, there's a world that's in that same position. That was more visible. That was more attention-getting. But there's a world in the same condition. People are dying and going to hell all around us every day. I mean, every missionary on that board back there is somebody's last hope. That's the way we've got to look at it. They're a debtor. Now, you know, people say, well, you're a missionary. Do you give the missions? You bet. I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't. If I didn't believe in missions, I would have never surrendered to the mission field. But, you know, you say, well, how much is enough? God tell you. You know, well, I don't think we're ever going to find, I don't think you're ever going to have to deal with the issue, Brother Matthew, that uh, Moses and them did when it come to building the tabernacle, where they finally had to stop tell, uh, tell people to stop bringing stuff in. They had too much. You're probably not going to have that problem, because you know why? There's always another missionary that needs a, needs a uh, hand up to get to where he's going. We've got some good missionaries out of our church. But the thing about it is, there's some good missionaries out of every church. You say, well, I've known some that wasn't much count. Well, that's all right, but I mean, I, I've taken my, my vehicle to mechanics that didn't fix it, too. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to, get, I'm going to swear off of mechanics. You know, one thing about a missionary, if he's worth his salt, you're going to know it before long. That's just that's the kind of stuff just ha- tends to, tends to follow him. But you know, the gospel, what's the gospel consist? 1 Corinthians 15, 3 said, If I delivered unto you that, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scripture. You realize that the resurrection of Christ is an integral part of the message. For the simple reason, Jesus died for my sins. Had I died for my sins, I would have spent eternity in hell. Had you died for your sins, you'd have spent eternity in hell. But Jesus died in my place. According to first, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 5, in verse number 21, the Bible says, For God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Christ died for my sins. But, but not only did he die for my sins, but when he got up on the third day, that was the, the father's way of stamping approved on what his son had done for my sins. If I'd have died for my sins, I'd have spent eternity in hell. He died for my sins on the third day he rose. That means that God accepted that payment for my sin. There had been some times that I got pretty discouraged along the way, but I remembered that nothing ever occurs to God. I mean, when I got saved, there was a lot of things that I didn't know, and I had no way of uh, foreseeing. But one thing I did find out, and that's the fact that nothing's ever occurred to God. Every failure I've ever made, 
every mistake I've ever made, every time I've ever stumbled, God knew it the night that I bowed my knee and called on his name. And he saved me in spite of it. So that encourages me. That gives me the grace to go on. You know, let's look just a, little, uh, just a minute in Isaiah. Book of Isaiah, 53rd chapter. And uh, they tell me that Isaiah 53 is the most effective scripture to use with any Jewish person that you that you you come into contact with, they tell me that more Jews have received Christ after somebody sitting down and uh, and expounding on Isaiah fifty three than any other scripture in the Bible. Because you know the thing about it is it's in their Bible. You can quote all the New Testament you want to, but they're not accepting that. But when you get to their Bible, they have no choice. In Isaiah chapter 53, the Bible says, Surely, in verse number 4, Surely he hath borne our, our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we're healed. Now, you know, the thing about it is that scripture was in that Bible a long time before I was ever birthed into this world. But it's just as applicable now as it was when Isaiah penned it. He said, we all we like sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. You know, obviously, most of us have got a long way to go before we get to that point. The Lord never, there was no guile in his mouth, there was no recriminations, there was no bitterness. I, I, I picked up a book one time at a used bookstore, and the book wasn't worth, didn't amount to much. But it had a saying written in the, on the flyleaf that was worth the price of the book. It said, a cup that is filled to the brim with sweet water will never jostle one drop of bitter no matter, no matter how hard it's jostled. That's a good point. You know, if we're filled with the sweet spirit of God, and our minds and our hearts are upon the work of God, and we can rest assured, the bitterest of stuff that we have to struggle with, I trust we struggle with it. Hopefully we're not yielding to it. But it's an ongoing struggle. Flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. I mean, if, you, if you've gotten over that, I thank God for you. But, uh, you know, most of us have to deal with those kind of issues our lifetime. But according to the word of God, we don't have to. The Lord Jesus... He opened not his mouth. He was as a he as he's brought as a lamb to slaughter, as a sheep before shears is dumb. So open he hath not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land 
of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, or with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now that has always been a troublesome verse of scripture for me. When you start uh, stopping, you think about the Christ of the Bible and his kindness and his consideration and his love. It is hard to believe that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. I, I mentioned this briefly this morning, but I promise you God did not, it, it, it didn't take, it, it, that's not said lightly. The eternal God knows the end from the beginning. He saw a lot of people out there who were plunging off into hell and a whole lot more that were going. You realize that things haven't changed a whole lot. There's still people plunging off into hell, a whole lot more that are going. But the pleasure he took in providing a way for salvation to lost sinners caused him to send his son to the cross. It was for the pleasure set before him that Jesus endured the cross. You know, it doesn't get any better than that. There's no, I mean, there's no, that's the message the whole world needs to hear. I mean, you know, it's amazing how much God speaks to people when they're not even in church, not reading Bible, not thinking about God. You'd be amazed how often God crosses our minds. He does on a regular basis. But the thing about it is, us being ignorant, it's a rare occasion that, uh, that we respond to it. Before I got saved, I hitchhiked a lot. It seemed like every time I turned around, somebody was picking me up and talking to me about God. I did not want to hear it. They'd give me, they'd give me New Testaments. They'd give me Bibles. They'd give me tracts. I did not want to hear it. But the fact of the matter is, they were missionaries. They just didn't realize it, maybe. Because every time that I turned that down, I was getting closer to the fiery pit. But God in his wisdom and his patience and his love saw fit in December of 1981 to bring via a tape into my life a very clear-cut salvation message and it stirred my heart to the point that I started reading my Bible if I hadn't started reading my Bible I'd probably be in hell tonight but as I read my Bible then I went my, my emotions went the whole uh, the whole range whole spectrum started out angry then I got sad and, I, uh, and then uh, the thir uh, third night I I got disgusted and hopeless and that's when God took a hand and you know what the Holy Spirit basically showed me to begin with I was in trouble that's what the world needs to understand they're in trouble they need to understand that there is a judgment coming that there is a righteous God looking down on this world and that there's going to come a time of judgment and they also need to understand and most people know 
you go to the primitive tribes and stuff, they all are trying to appease some kind of angry God. That's how all of those uh, pagan nations in the Bible, they were trying to appease some kind of angry God by offering up their children as, as sacrifices and stuff. It's amazing they knew God was angry, isn't it? The Holy Spirit reveals that to people. God is angry. There is a God. That's the first part of his message. The second point in his message there is God is angry and you're in trouble. And the third point is, but God has made a way that whosoever will can get saved. That reminds me of an illustration I heard one time. It said Charles had his Spurgeon was at Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. And uh, said he was preaching one morning on Behold the Lamb of God. And said he looked out there and two or three pews back. There was a big burly man with his sleeves rolled up and he was scoffing and mocking and laughing at everything he said. All through the service, this guy was down there just uh, just ridiculing, making, making a, a nuisance of himself. And at this invitation time, well, when he opened up the altars for, uh, for, uh, to receive people coming to the altar, the Spurgeon personally made his way back to that, uh, to that man. He said, sir, he said, I'm glad you've come this morning. He said, may I ask you a question? Why, uh, what did you find so hilarious and so ridiculous while I was preaching? He said, you call God a lamb? He said, I am a butcher. He said, sheep are the stupidest animal on the, pleasant, on the planet. He said, there's nothing about a sheep that could attract me. He said, you can keep your sheep God and stormed out of the church. Well, that grieved Spurgeon because it was just like it grieved any preacher worth his salt. So the next Sunday morning, just as he had started, he took his text and started preaching. Back doors came open, and this guy come running down the uh, down the aisle. He fell down at the at the altar. He wept the whole time as Virgin was preaching. And after the after he closed the service, he had he knelt down there beside that man. He said, "Sir," he said, uh, "I see a marked difference in your attitude today." Than last Sunday. He said, could I ask you why? What made the difference? He said, you know why? He said, I was so angry last week. He said, I believe in God. He said, I've always believed in God. He said, but to have him compared to a stupid sheep? He said, that made me mad. He said, I, I hardly slept last, last Sunday night thinking about that. On Monday morning, the first of the animals that we slew down there, we slaughtered down there with the lambs. He said, that first lamb come running down that, uh, that alley. And I reached down there and grabbed, his, grabbed him by the chin. He said, I was so angry, I almost cut his head off. And he said, blood spurted all over me. Just soaked me. And Spurgeon said, it was the blood then, wasn't it? He said, no. He said, before that, the light of life faded from his eyes. And before his, his legs collapsed, he licked my hand. 
That's by God. No matter how hateful, no matter how hard a man is, Jesus is still a loving God. He's still got a shepherd's heart for the worst, from the uttermost to the guttermost. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're debtors. We have an obligation to tell a lost world that a Savior has come and died, and they don't have to go to hell. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. I pray something was said that was encouraging. I pray, Lord.